Well, let's do exactly what we have just sung. Father, I ask for your blessing to continue to be upon our service. I thank you for your presence with us here this morning, and thank you for this opportunity, the gift that you've given us this morning to gather together, to worship you and declare through song and worship and through giving of offerings and through prayer that you are our Savior, you are our refuge. And now, God, as we come to your word, I thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that we have your word in our language, that we can understand it. And thank you for your spirit that helps make sense of it to our souls. And so, God, I ask for your blessing this morning as we embark on studying and understanding your word. And then, Lord, would you give us the strength to apply what we've heard this morning in our lives. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm curious to know by a show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever been exploring in caves before? Okay, so there's quite a number of you, but not everyone here this morning has experienced both the eerie and profound realities of caves. You see, caves can either be a place to fear or a place to admire. Being that I am a little... Okay, maybe more than a little on the claustrophobic side. Um, You know, I was one of those kids that my friends back in British school learned really quickly. I do not like to be confined in tight spaces. And how they found that out was at birthday pool parties, and you'd begin to have wrestling matches. And as soon as I got submerged underwater and felt confined... Picture in your mind the Tasmanian devil and these two things swinging in every direction as fast as you can. And so they learned real quickly, and that was always a time for me at birthday parties to just put my arms on the edge of the pool and relax because they knew we actually don't want you in the game. And uh, so as a result of that, I do not intentionally as a father look for opportunities to take my family on outings to go spelunking. Uh, In fact, I can only remember one time ever visiting caves... When I was a child, we visited the Chinoy Caves, which are a group of limestone and dolomite caves in north-central Zimbabwe. And so impressive are these groups of caves that actually in 1955, they were designated as a national park. Russell, have you been to the Chinoy Caves? You've been there, so you'll know what I'm talking about. But what I recall most from my experience that day was more fear than admiration. I remember the feelings I felt as we began to spiral down into what I remember as a kid, a dark hole, 150 feet below the surface of the earth. That is actually the hole that my family was excited to take me down that day. And you know what? It was probably a good thing that I was too young to pay attention to the signs that mentioned we'd be traveling through a bat cave which is a chamber of a dark cave before you reach the blind cave on your way to the main cave. (laughs) Doesn't that sound exciting? But you know what? Because of what I experienced that day and felt, I can now relate to the following descriptions how others have felt entering caves. Listen to how other people have personally described their experience. To enter the cave was to become engulfed in chilling darkness. The absence of light meant the absence of its warming touch. Impenetrable darkness, total and utter absence of light. As I journeyed in the darkness, feeling the rough, cold rock wall, I began to panic. Would I find my way out? 
light, day, sun. Even the moon holds no sway or meaning in a place where time stands still until you exit. These are descriptions of real felt emotions that some of you can relate to having been down inside of caves. As we continue our series, Because You Ask, we will be looking this morning to God's Word for guidance to understand the nature of loneliness and depression and how to endure them. And to help us with this important topic, we will be looking specifically at and listening to one person's description of their emotions felt and expressed from within the silent, chilling darkness of a cave. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 142. I'm not sure what it says in your Bible at the beginning of that psalm, but in my Bible it says it's a prayer of David when he was in a cave. Listen to what he prays. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. A prayer from a person in the darkness and silence of a cave. You see, David's words are really a snapshot of a typical human being, just like any of us here this morning, struggling in a moment of loneliness and depression. My spirit grows faint within me. No one is concerned for me. No one cares for my life. I am in desperate need. Set me free from my prison. Some of you this morning may have thought those exact words and felt the emotions even this past week. You see, David is going through a moment every one of us will go through. At one time, if not several times during the course of our life. It is inevitable. And for people who struggle with mental illness, it could even be a prolonged season of suffering. Family and friends move. We lose jobs. People suffer through divorce. We get old. People get sick. We are left to survive a loved one's death. Our children make decisions that break our hearts. And you say, okay, Pastor Calvin, stop. Enough. This is not the pick-me-up sermon I was hoping to hear this morning on this beautiful, sunny August Sunday. Trust me, I understand how you feel. But sadly, too often, I think the unchurched world has done a far better job than we have 
of acknowledging the fact that loneliness and depression are physical realities that far more of us actually struggle with than we're willing to admit. Because after all, Pastor Calvin, what will people think of me as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a child of God if I struggle with moments, never mind seasons, of loneliness and depression? Charles Spurgeon, an influential preacher known as the Prince of Preachers, who God used to impact many lives during the Reformation and beyond, was not hesitant to describe his bouts with depression. Listen how he describes them. I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. He goes on to say, the iron bolt mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prisons. Brothers and sisters, because of our love for God and his command, his command, and originally in my notes I, I put because of uh, our love for God and the need to love one another. No, scripture says we are commanded to love one another just as Christ has loved us. So because of our love for God and his command to love each other, the local church, our congregation, Calvary Baptist Church, has to become a safer place where we feel comfortable to openly and honestly talk with one another about our struggle in this area, just as those outside the church are modeling for us. They are keeping the conversation going. Suffering in silence or just masquerading that everything is okay, all is good. That does not fit the description that I read of in Scripture of how Christ's church should be functioning as a community of believers. I read in Galatians chapter 6 too that we are to be carrying each other's burdens. We are to bear one another's burdens, take them on upon ourselves, and help each other. So my prayer, the burden on my heart this morning is that God, through his word, and by his spirit, will encourage each of us here this morning in the deep recesses of our soul, in our inner beings, to be convinced, to be convinced, whether you are in a moment of loneliness and depression or not, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including loneliness and depression, can ever separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. It is inevitable. We must be honest. We will all journey through lonely and depressed moments. So let's take a closer look at David's description of a dark moment in his life and learn together how to navigate the inevitable reality of lonely and depressed moments where we will feel overwhelmed, trapped, and alone. We read together this morning a healthy question to ponder whenever I find myself in a dark and lonely moment. And trust me, as one of your pastors, I find myself there. Where the joy just seems to be gone. You feel numb. When you find yourself in a dark and lonely place, or when you run into someone else who is in a lonely, depressed moment of their life, a good question to ask is, how did I get here? 
Or how did they end up there? You see, there is always something that triggers the journey down. There's always something, and can I encourage you, there's always a story behind your situation and behind someone else's situation. And can I encourage all of us to please not jump simply to the solution. Be there and listen to the story behind how they ended up in that dark hole 150 feet below the surface of the earth. Listen. Listen to others' story. Listen to the Lord to teach you how to walk wisely, graciously, patiently, not judging, but carrying one another's burdens. In David's case, how did he end up there? He was running for his life. You see, the Lord had rejected King Saul as the king over his people because Saul kept rejecting the Lord's word. So in place of Saul, David, one of the sons of Saul's servants, was chosen and anointed to eventually replace King Saul as king. And while the Lord's succession plan was unfolding, David was called to actually serve Saul in his kingdom in different capacities. And he found, the scripture says, great favor in King Saul's sight. But if you read on in 1 Samuel, that favor began to quickly diminish as David became more and more popular in the sight of the people, in the sight of Saul's servants. Because you see, David was successful. Whatever task Saul sent David out to do, he was successful at, including defeating the Philistine giant Goliath. So Saul's jealousy began to fester within him to the point where he became enraged with the favor and loyalty that David, a son of one of his servants, was receiving, not only from the people, but now also from his own family, his son Jonathan and his daughter. So filled with jealousy was Saul that he actually tried to pin David with his spear three times while David was serving him. And I thought, man, that's one guy I would want on my dodgeball team. As I reread the story, three times while he's in a room with no, not hiding anything, Saul said, I am going to kill you and throws a spear. And it says David evaded it three different times. Amazing. You see, Saul became David's continual enemy and chased him all over the country, obsessed with plotting how to kill him. This is the story behind why David fled to save his life, leaving behind his wife, leaving behind his best friend Jonathan. Exhausted from being on the run and emotionally fatigued, he eventually finds refuge in the silent, chilling darkness of a cave where we read his prayer in Psalm 142. What's interesting is if you go back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, listen to what it says. David escaped to the cave. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Listen to the description of these people. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. When I read that, I kind of chuckled. I thought, I wonder if that's the first example of the old English proverb, misery loves company. I mean, here's David escaping. He's finally found this place of refuge. And who does he get surrounded with? People who are distressed and debt and discontented. Hopefully that's not a description of our congregation. Amen? 
and it says 400 people surrounded him. That is really important to remember as you define loneliness. Because as one author put it, loneliness is not being alone so much as it is the feeling of being alone. Here he is surrounded by 400 people. He is not alone, but he is absolutely feeling alone. Isolated, not belonging, not connected. And if you and I find ourselves in a place where we are surrounded by people and yet we feel alone, we are lonely, and if we don't pay attention to what we are feeling, and if we don't pay attention and take appropriate action, over time that can spiral into a season of depression, which often unfortunately leads people to pursue dangerous solutions to find relief for their pain in loneliness and depression. June Hunt in her material on depression, walking from darkness into dawn, describes depression like this. She says, if you place a heavy iron on a heart-shaped foam pillow, that pillow becomes pressed down. It becomes depressed. But the next day, if you remove the iron, the pillow returns to its original form. However, if you wait six months to, return, to remove the iron, the pillow will not return to its original shape. Instead, the pillow will remain flat and depressed. You see, a pillow which can sustain temporary pressure is not designed to hold its shape for a long time under heavy pressure. The same is true of your heart and my heart. When pressed down due to normal pressure and normal situations that we face in our daily lives, Creator God has designed our heart to rebound once that pressure is removed. However, if you live under the weight and heavy pressure for long times, your heart can enter a state of depression. Emotional heaviness that weighs the heart down. Emotional heaviness that weighs the heart down. The Apostle Paul used the Greek word barrio, which means pressed down, weighed down to describe the immense emotional pressure and severe hardships that he and Timothy suffered at the hands of those who opposed Christ. Loneliness. Not being alone as much as it is feeling alone. Depression. Emotional heaviness that weighs the heart down. Now, although you can search scriptures, you will not find the specific word depression in the Bible. But there are numerous biblical references to its effects highlighted in the lives of some very key people. Take, for instance, Abraham, Jonah, Job, Elijah, King Saul, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, David, who we're looking at this morning. Even the Apostle Paul, the human author of much of the New Testament scriptures and founder of the missionary church, struggled and expressed symptoms of loneliness and depression. You see, throughout scripture, God does not shy away from revealing that depression and loneliness are two of the most common and distressing afflictions that we will all experience. God does not shy away from that. 
It seems to me the world is not shying away from that. So brothers and sisters, we as the local representation of the church of Jesus Christ must not shy away from the realities of loneliness and depression. So when you and I feel lonely, when we feel the weight of emotional heaviness pressing down on our hearts, remember we are not alone. Others have been there. Others are there. Others understand. But most importantly, we are reminded in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that Jesus Christ, our high priest who we will celebrate at the end of the service, the scripture says he is able to empathize with our weaknesses because he himself was tempted in every way, just as you and I are yet without sin. Christ understands. And what you need to hold on to is whether he chooses to rescue you from it today or down the road, we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Our high priest has been touched with all the feelings of our infirmity. So what do we do when we're in a moment of loneliness and depression, those inevitable moments that are going to come to every single one of us at one time, if not several times, during the course of our life. There's four lessons, important lessons, that I want you to hold on to as you leave this morning from the life of David I discover from this passage. First of all, David did not hold back. If you're in a lonely and depressed moment, stop holding back. Don't hold back. Four areas I see he did not hold back. And number one, he called for help. He did not suffer in silence. He called for help. First to God. As author Plummer puts it, there's no possibility of passing safely or comfortably through the world without prayer. David held nothing back in his call for help. Notice how he prayed. This was not merely a mental prayer. God, I'm in a bad situation. 400 people around me, all like me, no help, no comfort. No, what does the scripture say? No, he cried aloud. He audibly, verbally opened his mouth and expressed to God, I need help. I cry aloud to the Lord. I cry to you, Lord. Listen to my cry. He lifted up his voice to the Lord for mercy. You don't have to doubt about the earnestness of his prayer. We read it. Have you ever been in a dark, lonely place where you cried aloud to the Lord? I'm so blessed to have my older brother here this morning, Kendall, and my two nephews, Felix and Isaac. And you will remember two years ago when we as a congregation asked you to pray, to cry out to the Lord on behalf of my brother and his family who were caught in the epicenter of the Ebola crisis in Liberia where 4,200 people died in that country and over 11,000 in the region died from that terrible Ebola virus. And I'm sure if, you took, if he had time, which he doesn't today, unfortunately, but if he had time to have coffee with you, I can guarantee you he will tell you there was many, many moments during that dark and lonely season of his life when his wife had been evacuated, his boys had been evacuated, surrounded by the smell and sight of death, 
they couldn't bury the bodies fast enough. And then to have one of two of his colleagues, a nurse, Nancy, and a doctor, Dr. Brantley, who the day before had just put his wife and family back on a flight to Texas, and to be left alone with the responsibility of caring for his colleagues, not knowing if they'll make it through the night because they too now have contracted the Ebola virus. Knowing in his mind that I might have to bury loved ones of people in the United States that they are never going to be able to say goodbye to or have that closing moment. I can guarantee you if you were to talk to him in those moments and as a family, I remember driving to work and say, God, be gracious. Be merciful. I didn't have to think about what I was going to ask God. I asked for mercy for my family and for that country. David called for help. He didn't hold back. The first step in moving out of the prison of loneliness and depression is to call out to the person who knows you and knows your situation better than anyone else and has the power and the ability to actually help you. He is our creator. He is our Abba Father. And listen to the description that he wants to share to your heart today. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Listen closely. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Matthew, our Savior Jesus Christ, who we will celebrate at the end of the service, says, Come, come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't hold back. Call for help. Secondly, David did not hold back. He told it like it was. Tell it like it is. Don't deny what you're experiencing. Recognize it and express what is occupying your mind and heart. David poured out his complaint openly and honestly. He told God all about his troubles, not because God needed to be informed, but because David and we need to be honest about what we are experiencing and communicate that as an important step in recovery. I mean, listen to him. Verse 3, when my spirit grows faint within me, When my spirit grows faint within me, that phrase literally means my spirit is muffled upon me. My spirit is muffled upon me. He is overwhelmed by his situation. You want to know what your spirit, a description of what your spirit feels like when it's muffled? Maybe you can relate to this. Psalm 22, verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Verse 4, look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Verse 6, I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. Do you see how David goes into exact detail about what he is feeling and thinking? All hope seems to be gone. His joy seems to be sapped. He can't envision anything positive about the future. Everything around him is stronger than he is. The walls are closing in. He is doomed in prison with no way out and without any sense of God's presence. In that moment, he tells it like it is. 
But note, he is not only honest about what he is thinking and feeling, he also is honest and comfortable to feel free to ask what he is longing for. Mercy, listen to my cry. Rescue me, set me free from my prison. You see, David wanted to be delivered in the real world from the real trouble he was experiencing. David, by telling it like it is, models for us what we are encouraged to do in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He called out for help. He didn't hold back. He told it like it was. He didn't sugarcoat exactly what he was feeling, thinking, and what he was longing for. Thirdly, he kept declaring truth. He kept declaring truth in the depth of his loneliness and depression, imprisoned by the darkness of the physical cave and the limitations of his own emotions. David does something very intentional as he cries out to the Lord. He speaks out loud truth statements. He speaks out loud truth statements. Just as he did not deny but recognize what he was feeling and thinking, he also in his moment of loneliness and depression did not deny and recognize what he knew to be true about his God. Verse 3, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. Verse 5, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. Do you see that? It's intentional. I say, I am audibly saying in the darkness and in the silence of this cave, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He declares truth about his God. And the fact, this is what's interesting, the fact that he declares these truths about his God in the midst of honestly pouring out his complaint before the Lord about his situation indicates to me his hope and his confidence in God to show up in his life in some way or another to deliver him in this dark moment was every bit as real as the feelings he was feeling of being overwhelmed, imprisoned, and alone. So you have these real feelings of feeling overwhelmed, imprisoned, and alone, and yet in the midst of that, you see him expressing out loud truths about his God that he believes in, hope and confidence. He reminds himself that God knows. God knows. You watch over my way. You're omniscient. He reminds himself that this cave is not my safe haven. You are my refuge. You are my safe haven. You are the one who sustains my life in the midst of what I'm going through. You see, brothers and sisters, when in dark moments, this is the danger. Our thoughts and our feelings will lie to us. Our thoughts and our feelings will lie to us. They become dangerous. So we must, we must put on the full armor of God. We must combat the lies they tell us by declaring what we know is true even when we don't feel the power of that truth in that moment. When walking in dark places and dark moments of your life, combat the lies that your mind and your feelings are telling you with truth even if you don't feel the power of the truth in that moment. John Calvin described David's situation this way. He had faith. 
trusting in what he could not see, enabled David to rise higher and to conclude, listen, to conclude, contrary to the judgment of his flesh, contrary to what he was feeling and thinking, he audibly made these true statements about God that helped him to understand his welfare was secure in the hand of his God, even in the midst of his loneliness and depression. As the ministry Haven Today puts it, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel. Don't come here on Sunday as the only time where the gospel is preached. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Allow God's word to fill your mind and your heart. The Lord will speak to you in your situation through his word and by the power and ministry of his spirit. You see, when journeying through dark places, we need light to navigate our way out. And what does the Bible describe as our light? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. By declaring truth, our problem like David's moves from center stage to side stage so that God can come back into the center stage and slowly we will be able to see the big picture. Don't hold back. Keep declaring truth. And finally, don't hold back. Keep trusting and hoping. Keep trusting and hoping. Even when you can't sense his presence, even when you don't hear his voice and you feel abandoned, keep trusting and hoping. David's prayer ends with an expression of lively hope. And it's said in the future tense, which again reflects his confidence in God's ability to bring him out of this dark and lonely place. We've read, his spirit was faint within him. But brothers and sisters, if you read this, he is not completely crushed. It's faint. It's real. He's acknowledging it. He's cried out for help. He's telling it like it is. He's declaring truth. He's keeping trusting and hoping because he is not crushed. Verse 7, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. By preaching the gospel to himself as he navigated the inevitable, David realizes that his only hope of living and fulfilling what God has called him to do was in God's hands to intervene and to deliver him. That is a realization, as one author says, that I agree with, of saving grace that ultimately must be embraced by all believers of every age. June Hunt says, the God of all comfort is able to comfort us in our troubles, and he is able to provide everything we need to find freedom from depression and loneliness. Keep trusting and hoping. But notice something interesting. A key component of what he is trusting and hoping for in his deliverance was to again enjoy the fellowship of the righteous in order to gather around with other believers and publicly praise and reflect on God's goodness. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. You see, when battling loneliness and depression, God has resourced us with not only his word, with not only his Holy Spirit, but he has placed us in a community. 
He has placed us in a community, his church, to help us navigate the inevitable. And we see that from the first disciples he sent out. He sent them out two by two. God knew we needed to have the presence of fellow believers along the road of life. We need each other. And just like David, I'm unashamedly not going to hold back this morning. Every single person who calls Calvary Baptist Church their home church needs to be in a discipling community or a small group ministry of some form or the other. Because you need it. I need you and you need me as together we recognize we need God. And so as you look to the fall and you think about your schedule, make priority of taking advantage that God has placed you in a community. Because I'm hearing over and over again this summer stories of how people in the midst of the inevitable are being ministered to by their small group. It's incredible. As pastors, we cannot make it to every situation. But as the body of Christ, if we are connected, no one will be left in a lonely, dark place. God has given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us a community. Nothing is more depressing than sitting alone, brooding in your own loneliness and depression. Therefore, in light of what he's provided for us, I agree with Dr. David Jeremiah when he says, lonely and depressed moments are inevitable, but lingering in them is a choice. They are inevitable, but lingering in them, especially alone, is a choice. Connect yourself back to his word. Make sure you're in sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And make sure you're taking advantage of being placed in a community of believers where we will carry one another's burdens. In summary, in a lonely, depressed moment, David does not hold back. He calls for help. He tells it like it is. He declares truth, even though in the moment the power of that truth doesn't seem to have, resonate with how he's feeling, he declares it. And he never gives up trusting and hoping in his God to deliver him. Although pressed down, he was not overcome by his loneliness and depression. Why? Because the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4, listen closely. God will, not maybe, God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast and trust him. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is our rock eternal. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I cannot rely on my wisdom. I cannot rely on my education. But I rely on your word. And you have just declared through your word this morning that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast and trust you. For you are the Lord forever our rock eternal. Oh God, help us like David in the midst of lonely, depressed moments, which are going to be inevitable, to put into action what he did so that we too might know 
without a shadow of a doubt, no matter how we feel, that you are our God, our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At the end of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says this, For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's hope. We do this because there's hope, and we will keep doing it to obey his command until he comes. So by sharing this meal together, we declare publicly our confidence and trust and hope that there is a time coming that we know of. How do we know of it? Because God's word says it. There's a time coming when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or loneliness and depression. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. What helped me that day when I fearfully began the spiral down the dark Chinoy caves was the knowledge that at the depth of the cave was this amazing, beautiful pool of cobalt water. Is it on the screen behind you? I had seen that in pictures and I knew from school that at the bottom of journeying through the dark cave, the bat cave, the blind cave, at the bottom was this beautiful pool of cobalt blue crystal clear water. And when I arrived there, the darkness and the coldness of my cave experience was dispelled by the light and the warmth of the sun that as you looked up penetrated that dark hole on the surface called the wonder hole 150 feet above. You see, my experience that day started in fear, but at the bottom of it all, it ended in admiration. It ended in admiration. So I encourage you as we leave today, look up. Look up. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. God bless you as you navigate the inevitable.